Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving, don't you think? So you don't want to miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me, now do you? On this show, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs, molecular gastronomers, food bloggers, artisans, enthusiasts, authors, and more. Because we dish on fabulous food, fine wine, spirits, travel, health, and most of all, living the best life. If you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we should definitely be friends. And this is your show. A very happy Labor Day weekend to you, by the way, if you are grilling and chilling or planning on such, and you need some delicious inspiration, I hope you'll check out my new digital cookbook entitled Sizzle and Smoke. It is available on Amazon and five-star rated, so please check it out. I also have lots of gastronomic inspiration at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And my daily dish, which you don't want to miss, on Facebook, Instagram, X, whatever you call it, (laughs) all of it at Chef Jamie Gwen. And if you happen to have missed a show or want to master a topic, you can find my podcasts with outlined show descriptions on Apple Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, and more. Just search Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. All right, let's get this weekend and delicious weekend party started, shall we? I like to start off the show, as you know, from almost 20 years on the radio, and thank you for listening, with a tutorial of sorts. And I'm always trying to enlighten you, educate you, bring you something new and scrumptious. And this is a conversation that I'm really excited to have. Do you read cookbooks like cover to cover? Because I do. So I kick off the show with a tutorial. Sometimes it's uh, ingredient based or recipe based or seasonal or holiday focused, or maybe there's a new cut of meat in the butcher aisle that you need to know about. Well, those are nuggets of information, right? And I find reading cookbooks, I always find little nuggets of lessons strewn throughout the pages. And sometimes they're just that small chef's note, or you might read about it in an introduction. But the tips and the tricks and the teachings expand my culinary repertoire and make me a better chef, I believe. And I love passing along those tidbits of inspiration and insight to you. And sometimes I strewn them throughout this show, or you'll hear them during an interview with a Food Network host or um, a winemaker for that matter. But at the end of the hour, during my last bite, you'll often hear a recipe or some new inspiration. This conversation though, right now, was too good not to share at length. So here goes. There is a new Palestinian cookbook about to release that highlights many of my favorite dishes. And I'm reading the advanced galley copy that I received. And in it, they take a really deep dive into a da. Yes, it's called a da. And what I like to call it actually is aha, a da. 
It is a toasty, garlicky topping for everything. And a while back, Epicurious wrote a lovely piece um, in homage of Ada, so it sparked my memory. And I had to talk with you about it. So it's the final touch before you finish a plate. And it adds texture and flavor and crunch and umami. And it is like Middle Eastern magic. And it is so good. And you really don't know what you're missing until you start putting it on everything. Now, like you, I have a full plate. Um, I have this wonderful, glorious television, radio, uh, celebrity chef, as they like to call it. I mean that humbly. Career. I also have a toddler. And so reading for me happens very late at night. And so does cooking, by the way. When I read something like this, I went straight to the kitchen. Now, I have always loved toasted garlic. I toast garlic for a broccoli salad that I've made for years and years and years. Um, I use it as the start to a very good roasted tomato sauce but I've never used it as a garnish like they do in the Middle Eastern application. It's crunch adds complexity. Of course, there's fabulous flavor. Um, It makes hungry eaters converge on the kitchen. The application in Palestinian style is a finishing touch technique, and it's the final ta-da before serving. And it goes by other names, by the way, in other cultures, but whatever you call it, I swear it translates to delicious. So ta-da, make a-da because it's just that good. It's kind of like surprise and delight to me. It is described the technique itself as the process by which garlic is transformed to complete a dish. And oftentimes there are other things in the mix, depending upon the region or the recipe. So like in Gaza, for example, green chilies and basil or dill, which characterize much of the local cuisine, are um, often added to the garlic. Elsewhere in the region, coriander or cumin seeds are common. Um, Some great cooks use freshly chopped cilantro or parsley stirred in once the pan is off the heat. And there's hot oil in that pan, so it draws out the aroma of whatever is there. No matter what you add, though, it is essentially all about the crunchy, fragrant garlic. And it's these slivers of garlic. It's about how you cut it, how you cook it, Um, and... They sprinkle it over. It's, it's like garlic magic, you should call it. Now, preparing the ada is not complicated. It does require a bit of focus, though, because garlic happens to have a very high sugar content, and so we know that it burns easily, right? Much more easily than, say, an onion would. So, you start with, a, I don't know, six cloves, let's say. I've been doing it with like an entire bag of peeled garlic cloves because I can't get enough. And you need a quarter cup at minimum of oil in a frying pan. And by the way, the frying pan is cold. You start in a cold saute pan with the oil and the garlic, and you have sliced the garlic thinly. Now, some do this on a mandolin, but you have to have a finger cover or a guard to do that. I I slice it thinly with a knife, and I do it, you know, the long way so that you get these lovely thin slices of raw garlic, and you put them into the cold oil in a cold saute pan, and you put it over medium heat. 
and you stand with it and you cook it until the garlic is lightly golden and you stir often and you do not leave the stove. I know I'm making a big deal of it. It's so simple, but it's so good. And so if you make a da, I want to know all about it. All right. It's time for food news this week. And this is an important mention because our hearts go out to Maui, of course, um, to Lahaina, to um, the incredible bravery of those who are rebuilding and those who are um, really steeped in the beauty and the history of uh, what Maui is. But kudos to Yum Woof. If you don't know about Yum Woof or, and you have a dog, you should know um, because they are a husband and wife duo who founded a dog food company. And it's air-dried dog food, and it is very good for your doggy. And it's a three-year-old dog food brand. But they partnered with the Humane Society in Maui, and they are giving back. They have donated $30,000 of air-dried dog food to Maui. There are an estimated 3,000 dogs misplaced from families. And they want to ensure that they don't go hungry. And so kudos to them on a Boeing 737. A lot of dog food went in an uh, August donation. And I wanted to make sure that I made mention. They have a charity foundation called Yum Woof Cares. And they're on a mission to help dogs live longer and healthier. And you can learn more at yumwoof.com. All right. When we come back, we are celebrating the beauty of the edible flower. And in rural northern England, there is a chef and a gardener who have a supper club and a cooking school, and they grow the most glorious farm of edible flowers. It is the first modern cookbook of its time entitled The Edible Flower and Erin Bunting is here. So please don't touch your dial. When we come back, there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go. your fetish? Well, then I am supplying the tools. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. You might never see a more stunning, nor have you seen before, a more beautiful book. It is a modern guide to growing, cooking, and eating edible flowers. And it is a celebration of feasts and flavor, and it is truly gorgeous. 
The book is called The Edible Flower because you see on a seven acre farm in rural North Ireland, there is an organic gardener and a chef and the two of them together have created this extraordinary success. The Edible Flower is a fork to fork, as they call it, supper club, uh, an organic farm, uh, a cooking and growing school, and they are sharing all of their wisdom. You can learn to grow and cook with edible flowers so brilliantly from this book as they forage from their land. And it is seasonal and sustainable and plant-based in its focus. And it is truly a, a modern masterpiece. I am so delighted that Erin Bunting is joining us along with Joe Facer. Uh, she, uh, the two ladies, I will say, run The Edible Flower. Um, and I am delighted to have you here, Erin. Welcome. What an introduction, Jamie. <laughs> I feel like I'm blushing. Just well, you should be. Well deserved. <laughs> well deserved. It was 2016 that you both began um, organic gardening, right? You are a trained chef. I have to tell yeah. you, I stared for minutes on end at that most glorious cake adorned with edible flowers uh, that sits in the center of the book. It is just so beautiful, the food that you create. For me, that's always been part of it. Like, I wasn't a chef my whole, my whole career. <laughs> I, had, I had a sort of career in arts before that, in the arts before that. But, um, uh, you know, for me, cooking, it's obviously about the flavor and um, nourishing people and yes. bringing people together and all those things. But it's also very much about the beauty. And I do feel like using flowers is a way of kind of channeling that in a sort of, you know, seasonal, local way that kind of connects you, you know, to your to your food. And, you know, even if you're, if you're only going to grow a few things and, you know, maybe you only have a small patch or a patio or a balcony or whatever in, in, in your you know, in your house that you can grow on, like, you know, you can grow a few flowers and make, you know, adorn your food, make it beautiful, kind of connect yourself to the actual production of food, you know, even on a very small scale and still have a beautiful garden. Yes. So I do think it's a really nice way of doing that. And I think that we have not taken advantage of the beauty of, and, and the deliciousness of edible mm. flowers in the U.S. as much as we could. They're used as a garnish, but for you, they're deeper than that. I know that um, your very loyal patrons and those that come to learn at school and that buy your flowers and that you're teaching through the book itself as well yeah. have an appreciation for the richness that is an edible flower. Now you're growing them on seven acres of land. How fabulous. But if we did want to grow them at home, can you give us a couple of tips as to where to start? And I think we need to be clear too, not all flowers are edible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the book is a really good guide to um, some edible flowers, but you know, there are lots more. It's, it's not an exhaustive study. And really the flowers we've picked are ones that particularly um, you know, grow well in our climate and that we find most useful and most delicious. Um, but yeah, it's obviously great to check what's edible. And also to, um, you know, one of the key things about eating edible flowers um, is to know where you're sourcing them from. So if you're growing them yourself and you are growing organically in principle, you're not spraying with anything or, um, uh, you know, using fertilizer and things, you know, um, non-organic fertilizers and things like that, then, you know, they'll be great to eat. 
But if you can't do that, then, you know, sourcing them from someone who's specifically growing edible flowers to eat. Yes. And even if you don't have a specialist grower, you'll find that lots of um, local veg box schemes or um, small-scale organic farms or um, uh, that type of thing will grow some edible flowers as well. And quite often you can buy directly off them because um, it's actually great for pollination, you know, to have some flowers in with your vegetables, which is what we do. We grow vegetables and um, other produce as well as flowers um, and just having that kind of extra biodiversity um, in among your small-scale growers. You know, it's great for attracting pollinators and some of them are sacrificial crops and all sorts of things, but often people will have flowers to grow, um, you know, that you, they can, you can buy off them. But if you do want to grow them yourself, then, like, I just do think it's a really great way to kind of access um, just that experience of growing yes. food or, 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 you know, flowers um, you know, which I think is really important experience. And there's so many amazing studies about how, you know, getting your hands into the soil um, and connecting to your food or to the seasons by, by growing things um, is great for your mental health and mm-hmm. it's a great thing to do with children and sure. um, uh, older people and all sorts of, you know, it's like, it's really, um, and also just for yourself, like it's just so kind of empowering to plant a seed and see it grow. So, I mean, I guess I would say if you're going to start with something and you've never grown anything before or, um, uh, then the first chapter, which is called Spring Sowings, is mm-hmm. where to focus your attention um, in the book. And these are all annual, basically. So plants that you can buy a packet of seeds, you can plant them into um, a little seed tray or soil blocks. And we talk all about the different ways we, we grow the flowers. But like, you know, at the most basic level, you could buy a packet of sunflowers or a packet of nasturtiums or a packet of calendula seeds, sprinkle them into a little mushroom tray or something that you've got left over from um you know buying some kind of produce with a bit of um uh, multi-purpose compost um we would say to use peat-free compost and um you know set them on your windowsill and watch them grow and once they get up a bit pot them on and then when you've got a little patch of land outside or if you don't have a patch of land just some pots filled with soil and then some compost on top and just grow them that way yes and that's you know that's really you'll see that whole cycle happen in one year you know the plant will grow and it will flower for you and you can harvest those flowers and use them and then the plant will die and you know you can start the whole process again and then when you're feeling like maybe more confident (laughs) some of the kind of further on in the book where we talk about kind of trees and shrubs and um uh some of the kind of herbaceous perennials which are plants that come back year after year but yeah just you know at that very basic level you've got a couple of window boxes in your balcony Yes. Grow some nasturtiums. And, um, I was going to say them. nasturtiums, uh, pansies, and then when you ad- when you adorn your dish or like you do, such creative ideas, Erin, and we'll we'll get to them. But there really yeah. is something prideful about putting it out and um, having a dinner table conversation about the fact that you grew um, the marigolds or the cornflowers or. Um, yeah. the zucchini flowers or zucchini blossoms as we call them those are my favorite by the way yeah me too oh, they're, they're, so they're pretty flowers. yes that they are Erin we need to take a quick break when we come back the insightful culinary conversation continues we're talking edible flowers so pretty Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Erin Bunting be right back
We're back and we're dishing. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Chef Erin Bunting is here, along with her partner, Joe Facer. They run a seven-acre farm in rural Northern Ireland where they organically grow the most beautiful edible flowers you've seen. And then Erin takes them and incorporates them into the most gorgeous breakfasts, lunches, and dinners in what is a very modern cookbook, the first of its time to highlight the beauty of what they forage in the form of edible flowers. And so we're continuing the conversation. I went through the book. I can't wait to make every recipe. I mean, the recipes themselves are very inspired. And I know that um, Joe tends to the, well, when I say tends to, it's her job to grow produce, a big job, and you make yeah. it delicious. Um, and your recipes are beautifully inspiring. But I marked a few specifically um, that sure. I was excited to try. Um, and because we're still at the height of the heat of the season here, there is lots of zucchini, um, or as you call it, um, courgette, right? Courgette. Yes. Yeah. And this ribbon courgette salad with the poppy seeds and the calendula, just gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, the way you could really elevate a salad is with a pop of color. Probably that's, you know, in some ways, like we, we called our business the edible flower um, you know, that's the name of our business as well as the title of our book. Um, uh, because, um, you know, I, I, when I did my um, culinary training um, at a, a school called Ballymaloo down in um, Cork, yes. um, they used quite a lot of edible flowers and huh. um, I was really inspired by it. And also because, like, basically all the food that we eat, all the, all the um, plant-based food that we eat comes from flowering plants, you know, which I sort of think is quite an interesting idea. You know, flowers kind of are the source of life in many ways. You know, it's the flower that creates the apple or the pear that you're going to eat. You know, of lots of things are flowers, broccoli and cauliflower. Um, you know, so I was quite inspired by that kind of idea. But then also, then when we started the business, I, I, we initially did, like, a lot of catering for weddings. And I um, really liked doing kind of family-style um uh, kind of sharing platters and things like that for food. So it's always about kind of making, you know, elevating salads, like big kind of sharing dishes and making them look like something that's kind of really special, something yeah. that's kind of beyond your standard buffet. So flowers are such a great way of doing that because just those little pops of color, you know, it like really lifts the dish, hmm. you know, just adding that little bit, you know, like I'm so into the little, all the sprinkles and salads, you know, I think you need the, the little crunch and you need a little bit of fresh herb on the top and, and then some flowers as well, and you're just kind of lifting everything up. Um, and also it just shows, you know, I just think it shows you care because that takes time to do that. You know, that takes time and thought, and, and people feel cared for when they see that yes. some, you've taken oh, time and thought into making a dish, I think. Of course. I wonder, all of your flowers are hand-foraged, correct? Yes. That's an unbelievable task if you think about it. Like I see so, someone's hand on, is it a borage? Oh yeah, borage flowers. Yes, they're quite time consuming. Quite time consuming. So when you say stars. like a lot of time and effort and love went into this, it's an understatement really. I would love if you would share some tips, please. You make a floral babka. That is gorgeous. How do you keep the color of the flowers vibrant when you're baking with edible flowers or cooking, applying heat? Yeah, so it, it is quite, yeah, it's definitely kind of a, um, I've definitely like played around with it quite a lot. And in many cases, it's better if you don't, you know, if you kind of um, don't put too much heat on lots of flowers. But with the floral babka, I feel like it, you really maintain that, um, the color because you're, 
when you make a babka, as you know, but maybe not everybody knows, you know, you're making an enriched um, dough yes. and then you're rolling it out flat and then you're putting whatever you're filling, um, you know, into the middle is, um, in which case we've got kind of a white chocolate kind of pistachio filling in this one. And then we mm. put loads of flowers in. We put in corn flowers and also um, carnations, which have this delicious kind of clovey sort of um, uh, kind of spicy sort of flavor, which is is, is you know they're they're really in there for the flavor um but then because you roll it up and fold everything inside like it is getting hot in there but it's not like direct heat on it and that seems to kind of preserve the color um really well amazing when it's kind of folded in there yes um and i so find that gorgeous. with quite a lot of kind of um uh enriched breads and things like that and actually there's a, a good recipe for some nasturtium fritters oh. um and nasturtium petal fritters where the they're folded into the the, the batter and then the, the little fritters are cooked like pancakes or, or drops gone type things um, and they keep the colour really as well because you know it's protected on the outside so yes. the heat isn't going into it but also it's interesting there's a, there's a nice recipe in here for some gingerbread biscuits um, which I then put kind of little flowers on top and actually when you read that recipe you parbake the biscuits before applying the flour ah. so the flour put on at the end uh, with Smart. a little bit of egg white kind of stuck on and a bit of sugar over the top and then goes back in the oven just for three or three minutes because I was finding if I was baking them the whole biscuit with the flour on top then you know it was basically brown the flowers turned brown of course yeah Yeah. very very smart talk to us about the flavors of some of your favorite edible flowers like you just alluded to you add a flower for flavor maybe you add one in particular with a less uh lesser bold flavor but for color what what is your favorite profile or you know flavor combination yeah like it's hard to pick one that um uh i guess i would say if you're already growing herbs then um all the her all the flower you know if you already have a little garden and you grow herbs because you're interested in cooking all the um flowers that will come on your herbs on your rosemary or um on this in this book i talk quite a lot about thyme flowers um i love thyme flowers flowers yes they they all have that flavor it's like usually a slightly milder version of the um the flavor of the herb Mm -hmm. but you know can be used to beautiful effect and similarly with like um arugula a rocket we would call it but arugula or um uh some of the mustards that you would grow maybe for their leaves they all have these you know you can use those flavors and particularly i particularly love um coriander flowers um uh, and the the seeds that then come afterwards like i always feel like you need to you know make use of those and we have a really nice recipe for a um pickled mexican carrot pickle that we ate lots when we were in mexico it's always (laughs) served with beers um and uh that the coriander flavor comes through really beautifully Hmm. in that with the seeds and the little flowers. Yeah, you're so, yeah, compounding I, I, flavors, right? So you're using not only the seed itself or the herb itself, but then the flower that um, that came yeah. from or flowered from that particular plant. And I think that's beautiful. It's like, a, it makes me think of a mushroom medley, right? One mushroom is wonderful, but three is even better. Yeah, yes. layering up those, yes. those, um, those flavors. And it's, it's really, yeah, it can be really kind of powerful. And also then you get the beauty of the flower as well. But I mean, I also like some of the more classic ones that I love as well. Lavender, it for me is a amazing culinary herb because you can grow it very easily, um, you know, and you just have a, a shrub and um, it grows all year and then you harvest it in the summer when the lavender comes out and then you can just dry, very easily dry it, just hang a bunch upside down, 
let it dry out and then you can put a brown bag over it and all the little lavender heads will, will fall into it or you can kind of pick them off if they don't fall off mm. themselves and then you can just store it in a jar and use it all year round. Lovely. And it has quite a, I mean, it's great when it's really used fresh, like it has a really strong flavor, but it, the, the flavor is preserved really well in the dried flour. And I just think it's really interesting because it's quite often used, um, you know, in sweet dishes, but actually um, it has a kind of, profile a bit like rosemary just a bit more kind of floral like a little bit more kind of in your nose um and so it's a great one to be used with um savory dishes so we have a really great recipe for kind of roast lamb in the book using it um i actually really like using it with roast chicken as well there's no there's not a recipe in there oh, and like nice. it's used quite a lot in the middle east in sort of spice mixes and things um as well like ras al hanout in morocco mm. um there's a recipe for that in the book as well so you know it's really Lovely. nice to use bring some of those floral flavors and balance them with some strong savory flavors yes. as well. I also have a little teeny, you know, uh, two by two silk pillow, uh, like a teeny little pillowcase that's filled with lavender underneath my pillow because yeah. said to be very good for sleep, right? So multi-purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and yeah, I mean, it is quite interesting using. I, I don't. I'm not a herbalist, so I don't really go into that in the. Um, in the book because I don't feel qualified though I you know I would talk about it a bit when I was I was just um talking to people about using herbal flowers but yeah it's really interesting to use that because you know some of these flowers have all sorts of interesting properties like Mm -hmm. hawthorn which I don't know if you would get so much it's like a really kind of special plant in Ireland it's like one of our kind of like sacred plants hawthorn um do you guys have hawthorn I don't know I don't know it well Um, no but it's an amazing heart opener and actually the what is used in a lot of heart medication is is a hawthorn extract Oh, um, how you know, fascinating. So, like, that's, like, an amazing, you know, a plant, you know, if you're feeling a bit kind of, um, yeah, just, like, if you need your heart opened a bit. You yeah, feel, sluggish. Like, you, need, you know, kind of. Sure. Yeah, space to breathe. And, and, like, and then we use things like chamomile, you know, lavender strips for sleep and for calming. But of also course. Chamomile is an amazing um, edible flower to grow, and it, you know, it has a great um, calming sort of huh. sedative effect as well. I, I love the medicinal purpose of, of food. I just, I think it's such a testament to the fact that it does not only nourish your body, but feed your soul, right? And if we look deeper at it, and that's exactly what you've done, the edible flower is so much more than just the beauty on the stem. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Aaron Bunting. Be right back. just tuned in you're late we are dishing with Erin Bunting the book is called The Edible Flower and it is one of the most beautiful cookbooks I have seen in my 20 plus years career on the radio here it is a celebration of their edible flower farm in Northern Ireland their business that highlights not only the beauty of edible flowers but cooking and gathering together and feasting and it's the first of its kind It is uh, their mission to enrich the lives of those of us that love food through the joy of edible flowers. I love that you infuse them as well, Erin. So you take carnations and sugar and water, right? And you make a simple syrup, essentially. And then you'll use that 
syrup to flavor a cocktail or a cooler or and otherwise. What a beautiful way to make use of a bounty of edible flowers. Yeah, like and that's definitely come from like you know growing stuff on the farm and often having kind of an excess of things and you know we're always running events and you're always trying to keep costs down yes. and you know still make things beautiful for people and wonderful and um uh I mean obviously your time is still money I know that but you know when you're running a small business that's not always how you think about things but yeah gathering flowers um and then making a syrup or something and using it in our kind of welcome drinks or our events so nice or as a cordial at you know uh, um a volunteer morning or whatever you know that that type of thing so yeah and I think it's a great way of capturing um flowers flavor and also their color you know you can really create kind of quite beautiful colors um uh you know I, I would usually make a tea mm. so use the um put the flour in then pour the boiling water over and let it infuse and then add the sugar afterwards lovely um, I just find it a little bit easier to control my flavor how sugary I want it to be and that type of thing but you know you can see these beautiful colors coming out in mm. the um Steeping into the liquid. Yes, for sure. This is a magnificent book that you and Joe should be very, very proud of. If you are looking for a solid introduction to the topic of edible flowers, which really haven't been uh, given their due, they finally are getting the attention they deserve in the new book release, a cookbook, uh, an expert guide to growing edible flowers, and much more. It's entitled The Edible Flower. The authors Erin Bunting and Joe Facer. It is a modern guide to growing, cooking, and eating edible flowers from the co-founders of the Edible Flower Catering Company and Supper Club in Northern Ireland, where they live off the land beautifully on seven acres of gorgeously gardened vegetables, herbs, and more. And the book itself is is an encyclopedia for growing and harvesting during the flowering season. And I'll tell you, the flavors are fierce and fabulous. And the visual is just so extraordinary that you must have this book, add it to your collection, read through it, find a recipe you love, and then set it on the coffee table in between its time in the kitchen and show it off because it is truly drop dead gorgeous. Um, I loved talking flowers with you, Erin. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your passion. As you create new recipes and you have more books, we hope, on the way, and otherwise you have an open invitation here anytime. Oh, thanks so much, Jamie. I've really enjoyed chatting about the book. And um, Thank you. Yeah, like I'm I'm so glad you've enjoyed reading it and looking at it. So Uh, loving every minute of it. You will find The Edible Flower available on Amazon, of course, and where all of the best cookbooks are sold. Um, This book is on its way to award-winning, mark my word. And the authors, once again, um, Erin Bunting and Joe Facer. We want to follow you on social as well, Erin. So tell us, how do we do so? Yeah, so you can follow me um, at The Edible Flower. And if you're a bit more interested in the growing side of things, you can follow Joe on at edibleflower underscore grows. Underscore grows. Yes. Yes, you did. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Thank you again. Um, Happy growing and eating and uh, all to you. I'm coming to your house first, so I'll be right there. 
Okay. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I look forward to it. Would you please? My best to you and your family. Thank you again. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And I hope you thought it was beautiful. I loved the education. Thank you again, Erin Bunting of The Edible Flower. All right. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for a holiday weekend where it is usually considered the last coup d'etat, the last triumph of grilling before we start the fall season. Although I am a SoCal girl at the grill and I grill year round. But if you are celebrating Labor Day with a drink in one hand and tongs in the other with uh, good charcoal or a gas barbecue fired up and some soaked wood chips, well, then this cocktail is for you. It satisfies a crowd. It has smokiness and a whole new dimension of flavor if you love a greyhound. Now, I love a greyhound. Vodka or gin, you pick it. Grapefruits, of course, but I can make it better. You take the grapefruits and limes, cut them in half. You sugar the cut side, and then you put them cut side down on your smoking hot grill, and you caramelize the citrus. Then you let it cool, squeeze all the juice, and make a greyhound, right? Well, you make a pitcher of them, in fact, and then you let everybody pour their own over ice. You can salt the rim or just sprinkle a little bit of flake salt on the top of that cocktail, and you have a grilled greyhound pitcher cocktail. By the way, inspired by my new digital cookbook, five-star rated on Amazon. It is a grilling cookbook, and you should download your copy now, really. It's called Sizzle and Smoke, and I hope you'll check it out. And until then, uh, until next weekend, I hope that you do grill and chill and have a glorious and very delectable week. And I will meet you here in your radio when I promise there's lots more fabulous food coming up next weekend once again. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.